Hey, Bitch Talkers, episode two of Sundance 2022. If you missed the first one, we had Fire of Love and TikTok Boom, two of the female directors that have been on the show before. And we have our friend John Wildman from Films Gone Wild. What, fourth time to charm with us? So if you're hearing a male voice and you're like, who is that? It's John Wildman. And today we're bringing you our narratives episode uh, where we're going to talk about every day in Kaimuki, which is a shot in Hawaii. We're taking you to Canada with Babysitter and then to the Philippines with Leonore Will Never Die. So enjoy this trip around the world with our narrative interviews. Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. I'm Erin. That's Ange. Hi. That's Char. Hello. You can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com where you can sign up for our monthly e-news. For behind-the-scenes videos and two-minute clips of our interviews, head to our YouTube channel and subscribe. You can find us every other Thursday morning at 9.30 a.m. at bff.fm. And if you like what you hear... Rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the love of God, do it. It really helps. It's going to be fun because it's yet another episode of us covering virtual Sundance Film Festival 2022. Uh, my name is John Wildman. I'm the editor-in-chief of FilmsGoneWild.com, joined, of course, with Aaron Lim and Angela Tabora of the Bitch Talk podcast, the super awesome Bitch Talk podcast out of San Francisco. And this um, time we're going to be talking about a film that, um, well, this was just damn fun. Uh, Leonor <laughs> Will Never Die uh, is a, um, a film uh, from the Philippines in the World Cinema Dramatic Competition. We have with us the director and screenwriter, Martika Escobar. Martika, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Hello, everyone. Absolutely. All right. Now, we're anxious to get started, but let's start it off by you introducing our audience to the movie. Tell us what the film is about. Okay, so um, our film is called Leonor Will Never Die, and it's about this retired filmmaker who gets transported into a film that she wrote. So she'll become the action hero of that film, like an action grandma. <laughs> she, she very much is an action grandma. Um, okay, Angela, I know, I know you, you're chopping at the bit. You start. Yeah, uh, Martika, just first, just thank you so, so much because I was just brought back to the 80s, to being a child in the 80s, and my dad and my grandparents watching these Filipino action movies. And I just completely forgot about this part of my life, and it just really warmed my heart. And I don't know if you remember Dolphy also, who was yes. big in the comedy scene in the Philippines. It just all of that just came flooding back into my memory. So thank you for, for reminding me about this part of my childhood. Um, so just the whole time I was just watching it, just really, really happy. Um, but that being said, um, I do love that this is an action movie being told from the lens of Lola, of our grandma. Um, and I would love to hear you talk about how, well, first of all, we all know that, uh, especially in countries like the Philippines, the women are the backbone. They really are the superheroes. Um, and, and I'd love to hear you talk about how an action movie told from an older woman's perspective is different from a regular action movie. Right. Um, well, you know, in, in the Philippines, we used to have like hundreds of action films, but I think it's not just in the Philippines, like everywhere 
everywhere else like they had this trend so those action films would, would usually just be about like violence and you know macho men with fist fights and you know gunfights but for this film i just wanted to like make an action film with a tender approach to i guess violence and problems of the world because in action films they would like look at violence as the solution to all problems but in this film i just want her to solve problems through love and then that's why i think like the the grandma character is quite fitting because older people are wiser people i guess at least for from what i know and yeah that, that's why it's 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 also like a fun experience to try to make an action film through the perspective of uh an a woman and an old lady well you know i it's funny is that when the film starts up i mean there there's all kinds of meta qualities about it and there's all kinds of movie within a movie with a reality within a reality and we start off um and you know and 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 you know we always want to be careful and not spoil um aspects of the film um but the fact is that we can sit around and be visited by ghosts in this movie and chat with them and you know so so it starts off with that and that and you introduce that and i'm going well this is like you know um you know peach upon where's the thaw all right i know where we're going with this but then it just turns into all kinds of batshit crazy uh which <laughs> i love and you know and and, it, and of course on the state side my mom was someone that just you know she loves revenge movies. She talks back to the screen. She coaches, um, you know, these heroes, you know, through these moments. And so, so much was familiar to me too. But what I would love for you to talk about uh, is how you were able to make this coherent for us to be able to follow, because there's a lot of stuff going on, and there's a lot of things that you know that you're giving us credit to go, yeah, they're following me along. They'll, they'll get that, you know, that she's, you know, in another world or she's in the in-between world. But you as the writer and the director, you know, you had to map all this stuff out. So talk about the challenges there. Um, yep, it, it was challenging to like play with three different worlds and try to make it coherent. So on paper, I tried it to make it as clear as I can. So we, I mean, I wrote the scenes so that it would be like it could bridge each world like coherently um i did write the script for like 5 years so it took a lot of like time and thought it's not like i just went on the set and then just tried to navigate things but the latter part of the film with with myself in like talking with our editor those are added scenes because when we cut the film for like two years we realized that we didn't have an ending so we tried different endings and it's the actual conversation I had with my editor that's in the film that eventually ended the film and I just realized that maybe it's just right because this film is about writing our lives anyway and I guess it's also about myself making this own film so yeah it's a perpetually changing script um, at first when I started it eight years ago, I was a very rigid filmmaker. I would make storyboards, shot lists, and I wanted everything to be super planned. But I became, I guess I became wiser in the eight years of making this film. That's why it turned into this like really weird mashup of, I think, my childhood as a filmmaker. So, yeah, uh, 
I guess that's my answer. There is a moment <laughs> where you're watching this and I'm trying not to give too much away. Um, there's like a chase scene and you're, you're one of your main characters, Ronaldo, um, AKA Rocky. We have a lot to talk about him about, but um, he stops and just dances his ass off. And I was sitting on my couch kind of doing it too. <laughs> but like, was that part of his process? Did you know he could dance like that? Or did he just break out in one of those scenes? It was great. <laughs> that, that wasn't planned. So we were on set and I just thought, I just thought of like having a different version of that serious scene because he was supposed to escape with his girlfriend at that point. And I, I thought like, how do we break this conventional action scene? And I just asked him, can you dance? I didn't ask him if he knows how to dance. I just told him to dance. And he was like, sure. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we we tried that as an alternative ending for the scene. But we eventually used both versions. It works. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it's, it's a growing film. That's why it's also, it, it took us like almost a decade to finish. <laughs> Yeah, well, I rewinded that scene. I'm not going to lie. One of my favorites <laughs> as well. Thank you for bringing that up, Aaron. Um, and, and, to, and, and to go back to, you know, this ghost uh, that we have, you know, Filipinos are very superstitious people. Everything's haunted. Everybody sees every everything, you know. So I, I love this aspect of um, this supernatural being. Uh, being a source of of comfort and support for the characters because that's that's what our ancestors are, you know. Yes. So so I would love for you to talk about molding this character and what kind of presence you wanted him to be in the film. Right, I'm glad that you got it and like it's it's a very normal thing here. So I wanted the ghost to be like the safety ghost of all the characters. Like when they have problems in the film, that Ronaldo would appear. But I wanted to I wanted him to like be a ghost that's not like a ghost. So I just presented him as like a normal human being, but just like translucent. So yeah, I think I think like in, in this film, like the characters at certain points, they always need some form of help that you can't get from other people. So it's always that external help from their beliefs. Not imaginations, but their their beliefs that can like get them through the moment. You know, uh, there, there's so clearly, you so clearly have a love for these films. And, you know, and, and, and that's, that's one of the joys of watching a film like this. You, you can, you can, it, it just comes through so strongly on the screen, you know, when a filmmaker really is embracing, uh, you know, a, a genre or a style or paying homage to something. Um, but I would love for you to talk about, um, in particular, th th this particular style of, um, you know, kind of melodramatic action uh, films and, you know, and what was it that, that really has stayed with you from the moment you watched them as a child till now? Um, I think like, like what Angela mentioned earlier, I grew up watching a lot of action film replays on TV. And I think it's a very normal thing in Filipino households. They would just like leave the TV on while, while the parents are like cooking or fixing stuff in the house. So I think it was just planted in my brain 
when I was a little girl. And then I just tried to process what what are those scenes? What are those action films about? And I tried to write them down for this film. So I didn't really watch or I didn't really like have this one peg film for the action film. It's really like based on what I remember. Even the, the tropes and the character archetypes, they're all from, from memory. And I think like a lot of us can relate to that, maybe. And um, yeah, so I, I also grew up watching a lot of other films because my, my mom would... I'm an only child and that's like where I seek refuge, you know, when you're bored and you just get to watch all the time. And that's, that's why I think I also keep on making films about films. I'm going to ask the soundtrack question because I loved the 70s slash early 80s soundtrack throughout the film. Was that something that um, that was new to this movie or did you pull it from old soundtracks or old music? All of them, I think all the music, except for the first track, our original music, the opening song is from the 70s and then our music um i mean my musical director did the rendition for the ending fight scene so they're all inspired by well my brief for them was to make it feel like a reimagined 80s or 70s track <laughs> i didn't want them to like mimic what like existing 70s or 80s music was so yeah it was also fun i also gave them like keywords so we had a weird process. So for the music, I would like give my musical director like that, not diary entries, but sort of like little letters and also keywords for her to analyze. Because we've, we've, we've worked a lot on other films before. So she sort of gets it. And that's her like, process. It worked. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and obviously we know that there's not enough Asian representation in the, in the entertainment industry, especially when it comes to Filipinos who actually make up the third largest group of Asian Americans in the United States. Um, so having, having known things like that, when you're making a film that's so specific about such a specific culture, such a specific time, do you ever at any point in, in the eight years, you know, that it took you, Oh, hi, hi, Kitty. Hi. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> Just want to so acknowledge cute. the cat in the room. Um, do you ever acknowledge in the, in the eight years that it takes you to make this film? Do you ever think like, am I going to be able to sell this to a greater audience? Or do you just carry on with your vision without compromise? Well, of course, I had like a lot of worries because we couldn't find the right funders for this film. So it was a struggle. It's also hard to uh, earn the trust of people because I'm when I, when I started this project, I was 21. Uh, I only had a few short films, so I needed like a legit producer to get us started. So it, it's really like a, a tough journey as well because it's not your usual script. It's the type of material that's hard to sell. And, you know, even right now, I'm unsure like if, if will this be a film that will earn? I'm not sure, but I've been lucky enough to find the right partners and allies for this film. So it's a lot of friendship cards and also a lot of like tiny investors, uh, companies, my own savings, my car. So it's like <laughs> this giant friendship project. That's why we were able to make it the way I wanted to make it. 
we didn't have a lot of like other people telling us what to do, which is something that I'm very lucky to have, lucky and privileged to have. I'm going to kind of assume that you had some happy accidents making this film. You know, you know, as, and watching it, there, there, there's, there's like, you know, again, there, there's so much that we're taking in in the, in the different worlds that you place us in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and when you make, when you, when you, when it takes that long to do a film, you know, you're, you're cobbling together uh, things when you're in the editing bay and, you know, and, and, and finding different ways to go from point A to point B all the way up to Z. Um, can you point out some, you know, you know, a couple moments that, you know, you might've thought were disaster as you were filming them or what have you. And then you turned out and, and then you go, Oh no, but actually that actually works now because of the direction we're going. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting because I see the whole film like as a, as a happy accident. <laughs> like I never expected <laughs> this film to like come to life, to be honest. It's, it's really like that project that I just wanted to write not even like make but things just fell into place and like what I mentioned I've been very lucky to have found the right people because it's really the right people and it's really the mutual trust you have with, with everyone that's why I think like we were able to make this thing work it's because everyone trusted each other so at, at first people were like confused like what is this strange film on paper but once we were there we just had this like um like harmonious set and i think that reflected in the film and that's why also like people tell us that they feel happy after watching and we're like oh maybe it's because we are happy while we were making the film so yeah sorry what was your question <laughs> <laughs> you answered it you, you answered it yeah uh, you know you, you may not have known you were answering it but you did you, you did answer it i remember now you asked about the happy accident this interview is just like your movie now so i remember like when, when you mentioned the happy accident i was like oh it's the timeline scene remember the the editing bay so oh. that's mm -hmm. from our actual editing session when we were about to lock picture and i asked my editor to just screen record his editing bay because when i looked at it it I started to realize that, that like, oh, wow, I guess this film is it. That's just it. Everything, eight years of work into this tiny timeline with mm -hmm. a person controlling every single thing and myself giving him, like, a signal that, hey, this is done. So I just had, like, this realization that it's very much like life. That's why, like, I asked him to record and put it in the film because I think it reflects, like, how we see life as this one at this as this long movie that we keep on revising and editing until it's complete. So yeah. Happy accident. Happy accident. Beautiful. Uh, that, That's beautiful. That, that, here's the thing, you know, you it is really difficult to get financing, as you've said, for this particular film, for any of us. Any of us to, to get, you know, you know, I always say that, you know, that I never think I'm ever going to get money to make another movie. And so if I do, I want to make the movie that I don't think anybody has ever seen before. And because I don't know if I'll get another chance to do that. And I say that saying that I think for the three of us, for, for Ange and Aaron and myself, we watched your film separately and all three of us, I'm pretty sure came to the conclusion, we've never seen anything like this before. And, and I think, which is amazing. It's, it's, it, it is such an accomplishment. Um, I, you know, I just, I just loved it to death and I have to think that you're going to find many more allies and a lot of other fans that are going to discover this and just really love the ride that you take them on. 
Congratulations on that. Thank one. you. Um, again, the title of the film is Leonore Will Never Die, um, playing in the World Cinema Dramatic Competition at Sundance 2022. We've been talking to the writer, director of the film, Martika Escobar. It's really been great talking to you about this film. Thank you so much. <laughs> what a fun movie. Thank yes. you. Thank you. Thank you. And we are coming to you virtually from Sundance 2022 with us from Bitch Talk Podcast. Uh, my interview teammates, Aaron Lim and Angela Tabora. My name is John Wildman from filmsgonewild.com. And this is a film we've been very, we've got a lot of anticipation on yet to talk to you about this film. <laughs> the film is Babysitter. Good um, anticipation or bad? <laughs> uh, no, 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 we're psyched. Joe, all good, I, come yeah. on, it's all good. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, the director, Monia Chakri, who's also one of the stars of the film. Um, welcome to the show. And um, why don't you start us off by, the, our audience has not seen the film as yet, we're guessing. So why don't you introduce our audience to what Babysitter is about? Okay, um, I mean, uh, it's, it's not complicated, but it's kind of. But I would say that it's it's a movie about a couple who lives a normal life, who has a new uh, born child. The dad, the, the 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 man in the in the couple, uh, does something kind of uh, call it wrong now, and and uh, like um and after that, uh, their their life's gonna change when they're gonna meet uh, the new babysitter. I would say that. To, to be not mysterious but like it's the is the the, the 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 basic of the the story well you know this film uh in in the very best ways for me confounds expectations every step of the way we think because we've been trained as we watch movies and whatever to go oh this is what's going to happen next yep. and almost every single time even like little small things not just <laughs> like the you know second act break or anything but even small things we go oh I was I didn't think that was going to happen, um, which is remarkable and, and really, really, uh, really, really entertaining. Um, but I want to start off because I know Angela wants to jump in, but I wanted you to start off talking about the fact that um, this was the the script was adapted by um, uh, Catherine Legere from her stage play. Yep. Um, but this film is like, I mean, this has got like Me Too commentary all over it and, and things like that. So how old was that stage play before this was adapted to the screenplay? I think she wrote it like uh, probably seven years ago or something, seven or eight years ago. And I saw it on stage five years ago or and, and it was already running. So I think she she wrote it like and it's 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 the great thing about a uh, uh, great author. Uh, they, they have this sense of um, anticipate uh, new uh, way of uh, seeing life or and and it's the thing with Catherine, like when I saw the 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 play five years ago, I was like, "There's not there. I haven't seen any movie about that. We have to talk about it. It's important. It's it's urgent, and uh, that's how it it uh, it uh, it went through. But I was I was uh, I was as as you um, very um, surprised by the fact that, and I, it was like five years ago. So I was like, it wasn't 
not so much about me too five years ago you know we started to 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 talk about that but it wasn't in the the uh, the main uh, the main subject uh, uh, social subject so uh, so it it means very interesting thing and the first one is like uh, uh, we we start to grow in our um our way of thinking already you know about that subject yes and thank you for furthering that conversation and you really depict just sort of the anxiety that both men and women sort of feel when it comes to sexuality desires reality versus not um and and you really took me through a roller coaster ride i mean i was in agreement i was like yes and then i was like wait what and then I'm laughing and then I'm like nervous. <laughs> I mean, you really just put me through the, the emotional roller coaster. And I'm curious, what would be your ultimate goal from someone watching this film and walking away? Because I, am I wrong in thinking that even men with the best of intentions are still just a little troublesome? Uh, yeah, well, maybe, but, but <laughs> it's, uh, you know, like when I do movies, when I write stuff, uh, in this case, I didn't write it, but um, when I when I sh when I want to pursue a project about uh, a, any subject, um, I think that I don't I don't have like any expectation, and I I'm not like a socialist uh, socialist or or a political uh, you know I'm not a I'm not a an essay writer I'm I'm an artist so I just ask question and it's the thing I want like it's it's the thing with Catherine and I like the, the writing of Catherine it's because it's not Manichaean you know it's not uh, black or white it's 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 a gray zone and it's 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 very interesting in life because life is is a gray zone it's not like a lot of movie now have this like values and 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 thought and take uh the 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 um the viewer by hand and say let's go this way and it's the thing even for me i i have i have still some question about the sub the subject of my own movie you know i i question myself about stuff and it changed uh every time i see it i'm like oh maybe like it's more about like uh, my, my thought is more on this way and then like i'm like no and it's it's what I, I like in this movie and no no character is right or wrong you know like no one is like and it's uh so i i, I think i would just like that that people um get it as i get it so just ask question have a conversation and i know that this movie won't be like um uh, very um uh, you know no not everyone's gonna like it but it's not the it's not the the idea of this movie the idea of this movie is just ask question which is a a good thing i think yeah, I, I have a question about the actors. Were they all 100% on board with this film or did some of them need some coaxing and, and conversations around what this was going to be? No, no, I think they were they, they were into the, the thing because they have the same feeling of, of the, 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 the the story, you know, it's they, they, they are not, uh, um, I don't know, I think it's just like interesting that even as an artist, when you when you do something, you're not you don't have to be very like clear about what you 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 think. And I think that I, I would hope that that like the movie uh, don't need any explanation. Just like just live by by himself, you know. And no, the actors were very uh, into it. But I mean, I don't know. Well, now let's talk about you as an actor and a director directing yeah. yourself. 
Um, you know, as someone who, and I've, I've directed myself in films and there are specific challenges mm -hmm. uh, to doing that. And I would love for you to, to address that, you know, for you personally, because, you know, it's one thing if, um, uh, you, you know, of course, performances can be, you know, either on different levels, nuanced or not. The performance that you're giving is very nuanced and, and you really go through a specific arc, um, a very defined uh, arc that, uh, you know, in this film. So you've got, you've got a little heavy lifting to do as an actor. So how did you take care of yourself as an actor while you're directing the big picture, literally? Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I, I used to be more of, of an actress and I started to direct uh, um, a few years ago. And my goal wasn't about being myself in movies, in my, my own movies. Like I had my, my, my own career as an actor with other uh, director. And I really wanted to, 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 to work uh, and to uh, to um, be able to develop my 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 um, my skills as a director and a and a writer uh, for this specific film. So I don't think I want, I'm going to play in my my movies in general. Like in this specific case, is the fact that I didn't write it. So first of all, I thought I'd like. I mean, I didn't think of of uh, playing this movie actually and uh, I, I had this project in my hand for a year and and a year later my my uh, my producer and and Catherine told me like maybe uh I think we, we you should play uh Nadine's part and I was like oh okay so I, I rewrote rewrite the uh, re uh, sorry re uh, uh, read the script thinking of like maybe should I be able to do it and what I liked in this character is she was very low profile. So it was kind of easy for me to be uh, in this energy with other actor being very on the back of the, of the action. Um, and then it was kind of a, yeah, it was of course a challenge because uh, uh, I had like <laughs> more of uh, more work uh, on my, on my own, but um, it was kind of like, I don't know, I think I had a good crew, so it was kind of uh, not easy because it was in COVID and it was complicated, but still it was kind of a, a, a fun part, but it's not like a goal. I'm not very into myself too. Like, I don't like myself <laughs> so much. Like, I don't like to look <laughs> at myself and like, wow, what a great perform, you know? It's not like my thing. And I, I don't judge directors who does it. I, I actually love a lot of directors who's, who are in their own um, film, but for myself, like, you know, I remember like my, 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 um, editor, she was in France and, and she, 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 had, she got the, the rushes and she told me like, you know, Monia, you could like, you could do like more than three takes, you know, on you, you know, because I was like taking like 20 takes to other uh, actors. And I was like, so in love and so uh, energized by their own work, uh, but I didn't have any dialogue with myself. So it was kind of like, hey, you know, like after four <laughs> takes, I was like, I think I'm done. You know, I don't know what to do more. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. but it was kind of like, it was a challenge, but it was a good challenge. Good. I'm glad you put yourself in front of the camera because you did a great job mm -hmm. and you got to do some fun things. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> some of my favorite <laughs> moments was just like, wow, yes. well done. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of favorite moments, you play a Peaches song that yeah. is one of my favorites. And I, I want to know, uh, was that always in your mind? Like, I need this song because it just fit. It fits so well. And I was I was so excited to hear it. 
Well, I love peaches and I saw in, in uh, on stage uh, like many years ago. And I think uh, I chose her because, I mean, the, the song is just amazing and it fits so well with the, the entrance of the, uh, it's the moment when the, the babysitter, um, uh, we, we present the babysitter. So that's like, it was like, I don't, people haven't seen it, but it's a, it's a big moment in the movie. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's like the second uh, act of the, of the film and um yeah i think peaches represent also like uh well she's she's a she's a very strong artist and she's a very strong woman and and i think that the, the music fits so well and the the, the lyrics uh, fit, fit so well well <laughs> with this uh moment yeah you know before we go i think it's appropriate that we uh do talk about the babysitter in Babysitter, uh, uh, Nadia, who plays that role. I would love for you to, because again, that, you know, there are so many twists and turns that take part literally in what she actually says and does. And and for an actor to pull that off and not tip us off and, you know, and, and, and to, you know, to, to, to lead us along. Well, how do you describe it in the notes? I think Mary Poppins of the libido, um, you know, <laughs> I would I would love for you to talk about you know as um you know as a director working with her to get that performance. Well, um, Nadia is a very young actress, and she didn't have she didn't have so much experience when she she uh, she started in my movie. Now she's like uh, not not fame uh, already, but she did a lot of, of films since then. And um, well, the thing with Nadia was. The fact that when I met her, uh, there was so such a big connection with her so easily, uh, and she became one of my great greatest friends too. So uh, she was, and I think she has this, um, I don't know, she has this uh, very uh, unusual and and energetic. She she's she has this all the balance between a kind of a naive thing and and a very strong. Um, thing though so I don't know I was I was she it was it was easy with her like she was really into the the comedy of the the film the, the minute she she read it and she she understood so well the character so it was kind of an easy thing with her it was like yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you it's a great intro I haven't seen an intro to to an actor to uh, maybe since Adele Exarchopoulos uh, a, a few mm -hmm. years back um, it's like that kind of intro you gave her, so she owes you. Um, <laughs> uh, so again, uh, the film is Babysitter, uh, screening at uh, the um, virtual version of Sundance this year. We've been talking to the director and um, one of the stars of the film, Monia Chokri. Monia, it's been wonderful talking to you about the movie. Thank you so much. We are doing our interviews for the 2022 Sundance Film Festival, our virtual version of Sundance this year. My name is John Wildman. I'm the editor-in-chief for FilmsGoneWild.com. Of course, with me from the Bitch Talk podcast, we have Aaron Lim and Angela Tabora. And um, our producer, uh, Charlene Goto, is also hovering around making sure we do things correctly. And this time, we're going to be talking about the film 
every day in Kamuki, feature film, and we have a team with us. So we have a little bit of a Brady Bunch situation. Uh, but with us, we have uh, director and co-screenwriter, uh, Alika Tengen. We have from the cast, Arena White. We have producer, Jesse Odio, and DP and producer, Chapin Hall. So welcome to the show, all four of you. And let's start off this way. Uh, Alika, why don't you introduce our audience to the film? Uh, they haven't seen it as yet, so tell them what the film is about. Um, yeah, so the film is sort of inspired by a mutual friend of all of ours, uh, Naz Kawakami, who um, is a Hapa Hawaiian Japanese guy like myself, who, uh, you know, over the years I've become friends with, and we had always talked about sort of doing a maybe a film together. And so when I found out he was moving, um, I talked to Chapin about seeing if, you know, we, we both thought it might be an interesting idea to maybe sort of make a documentary about his experience as he prepares to leave uh, Hawaii for the first time. Um, and when I approached Naz about it, he was down and also uh, he's, a, he's a big cinephile like myself. So I think we equally like the idea of fictionalizing part of the film as well to make it just a little more interesting in that way. And um, yeah, that was the initial uh, impetus for the film and that that's, I think that's still the core of, of kind of where it's at. Awesome. Well, I know, I know Aaron is, is itching to jump in with a question, but really quickly, because this is new information for me. Um, so are we talking, this is um, a documentary narrative hybrid situation where we've actually got documentary elements and we don't know what's real, what's not? What, what's what's going on here? Um, that, that was, yes, that was definitely a lot of, uh, in the DNA of what we were trying to do, um, we, we liked the idea of trying to obfuscate those lines as much as possible. Um, I mean, and, and while it is like really inspired by the person, it's also like very exaggerated and high, um, you know, edited for dramatic dramatic effects. It's kind of like uh, I've been talking about that Joaquin Phoenix movie, I'm Still Here, where it's like, Yes, that is Joaquin Phoenix, but he's playing a version of himself and you don't really know if it's fiction or reality. So that, that's kind of the deal. Got it. Well, you fooled me. Um, <laughs> well, actually, I'm glad that you, you, you're you going a little deeper into it because when I was watching it, I'm like, it felt like a documentary, but it, then it felt like then the actors came in or maybe they're not, maybe they are friends or both. But um, part of this or a lot of this film is um, filmed during the pandemic. So for me, it brought up a lot of feelings of, and it's still kind of happening since we're still in the pandemic, people leaving and things changing. So can you talk about how that affected the script and the filmmaking? Yeah, I mean, certainly, um, you know, Chapin and I and Jesse, we all, and, you know, Rena, we all talked about wanting this to, to be a film that could maybe speak to the moment that we're in. And I think for all of us, it was an intense, uh, intensely introspective um, two years. And so I think that's one of the really, you know, compelling things about the film is our people sort of taking a step back and re-examining their surroundings. Um, and, and trying to make the best of it and figure out where they belong in all of it. And I that, think you bring that. up a very interesting thing um, about the pandemic and moving, which are two things that are happening in the film. Um, and of course, I don't think 
we've ever experienced a time like this when we are seeing our best friends and our family either moving away or moving closer towards us. Um, and we've never seen an exodus of this type. Um, and I, I think it equally begs the question of what is it worth staying for and what is it worth leaving for and evaluating all those things. So definitely a lot of those things we've been thinking about. Um, not yet directly, but it's. I, I love that you're bringing that up. Yeah, I mean, I would say like being the islands are far from the continent. You know, uh, any move is significant and we know that, but I think that the pandemic uh, layered through adds this other layer for people who aren't sort of thinking about how geographically separate, you know, Hawaii is from the rest of the world. Like anywhere is really, really far and requires getting on a plane. And that's something, you know, uh, the character talks about in the film is that having to sort of like, um, extricate himself from his whole life right and and it, it's complicated to do and a lot of us have have done it um rena has just done it and moved to new york herself um so you know i think it's something that we knew had stakes but it is they're not obvious and so i i really feel like the pandemic um adds these stakes that like moving to new york isn't just moving to new york moving to new york during a pandemic is something um i mean can i ask i mean rena just kind of did it so i, I want to ask her like did all of this play into you know what you've been thinking over the year not the movie but just like the things that we're talking about yeah i think um just the pandemic in general i think two years kind of flew by and it gave me a huge panic attack when i thought about um how fast time is moving and how i'm not anywhere different or i'm in the same spot that i was two years ago so I think I made uh, the biggest change I could and went like halfway across the country and like <laughs> really up my life in like about two months and decided that I was going to move and now I'm wow. here. <laughs> it's art imitating life, imitating art. I don't know which which is which, right. but somewhere <laughs> between that. Yeah. Well, well, I really love um, because as Americans that don't live in Hawaii, we really fetishized is that the right word the hawaiian lifestyle um but this film is really you you can tell this is being told from a native hawaiian's perspective um so i'd, I'd like to hear from all of you how you directed the film the locations you chose the way you shot it the way you acted it how how um what aspect of being a native hawaiian were you trying to tell from your own specific roles that we wouldn't expect having having been from not from hawaii yeah. Um, so, you know, this this film was a total collaboration between, well, all of us, but especially, you know, me and Naz co-writing the script together, but also beyond that, you know, the, the things and the way that we wanted to tell this story, um, because he and I are of the same genetic makeup and I, you know, like him, I mean, I have suffused myself into his character in a lot of ways in the movie. I mean, his the conversation about not feeling Hawaiian enough, um, you know, that's both of us. That's especially like sort of a, a more white passing um, native Hawaiian like myself. So uh, I think that in general, um, I, I think that contributes to the character's sort of uh, rootlessness and um, feeling of not belonging in a place that he's supposed to feel like he belongs. So that was just kind of like built into everything that we did, but we also wanted it to, to um, 
you know, we didn't want to be didactic about it. We didn't want to like give people a history lesson on, you know, the way that things are, were or are. Um, this is just how they are for one uh, Hapa Hawaiian person's life. Um, it's a very vast and diverse experience <laughs> for all of us. Um, it's, a, it's a whole spectrum. So um, we just wanted to tell one, one small story about that in the best way that we could. Okay. I want to jump in here. We're going to go to Rena right now, um, because, again, you know, some of this is fictional. Some of this is not. So. All right. So, so Rena, either you actually do or did have a relationship with Naz or you're playing someone who did. And so therefore, um, what's going on? Like, you know, you know, one, if, if you did. So so you're in a scene. And, and Alika and Naz are saying, you say this. And you go, I didn't say, I never said that. I'm not saying that now. Uh, or, or you're playing someone and then said, well, she kind of said that. She go, well, I don't care. I don't, I, that, that doesn't make sense to say. So, so what, what I, want to, I want you to talk about how you were dealing with these two guys that are trying to orchestrate everything. And, and, and you're trying to face, make your reality on the set. So Rena, tell us what happened. That's a fantastic uh, point. Um, yeah, so my character's fictional, completely fictional, and um, but I did get the opportunity to collaborate. So there were moments where I didn't agree with some things that Naz or Lika wrote, and I would say, hey, I think you know this would make more sense, or I think this reaction is more genuine if it were me dating Naz. Um, we did not date, but if I had to imagine it, I think this is how I would react. And that's kind of how some scenes went, but but for the most part, they did a pretty good job of, um, I think, staying true to to the character and pretty genuine reactions and how I would react to. Okay, and and let's talk about Naz really quick, and because we can talk about Naz, he's not here, he's not going to know what you guys said. <laughs> so um, let, let, let's talk about a, a, a Naz and, and one directing him and you know and and acting you know opposite him because he has a very specific energy. I mean, he, he, he's like, he's like a Hawaiian Luke Wilson. I mean, he is like low key <laughs> motherfucker. Right. So, so I would love for you guys to talk about Nat. <laughs> wow. Uh, I, we've not heard that one before. And I love that comp, uh, a producer friend who just watched it, compared it to inside Lewin Davis and he has Oscar Isaac. So kind of love that as well. Um, I think we're, we're in the same um, ballpark there. Um, no, I mean, you know, kind of what to what to what I was saying earlier, the film is like, you know, Naz in real life is not as um, I think anxious or worrying or like uh, externalizing or saying, you know, all of the things that are on his mind. I think like all of us, you know, we all have a certain level of neuroses, but um, uh, uh, yeah, so we really wanted to like exaggerate those things because there were there were sort of um you know expressions of some of the ways he was feeling but not being able to say them in real life so uh but i mean in terms of like direction he was pretty incredible i i mean he he had basically done a small cameo in one of my short films um malchus makai which he was like really amazing in and i just like threw him into the fire um, and I was really impressed by that. And just being around him and knowing him throughout the years, he has like a very, um, he's very comfortable in his skin. And I, that's kind of what made me feel like he could shoulder a feature film. Like he just is that way. He's not, he kind of, yeah, I just felt like it would like translate really well um, on screen. And so he was really 
pretty incredible to uh to direct and see like his performance and it is a performance like he's acting uh, in a lot of you know a lot of those scenes like he's doing something other than what he would normally do and um it was amazing to also sort of bring in his friend group his naturally bring in his like those are mainly his friends i would say like 80 percent of the people that he interacts with are his actual friends so um they were all really incredible and we really wanted to just feed off of and enhance the natural dynamics that were already happening there and especially when like naz and rena got together that really like i don't know i think for me and chapin and jesse we really uh, we're marveling at their chemistry. It's, it seemed really natural. So he said something the other day that, you know, he's particularly interested as a writer in uh, characters that aren't like, especially like lead characters or like protagonists who aren't necessarily just like all good or aren't all one thing or another, aren't these like really clean, you know, so he's very interested in these kind of three-dimensional human beings. And so I think he brought a lot of that, especially to his own character throughout. And so I think even watching a lead, go direct him it's like he he was really thinking about who this character should be and and i think he was thinking a lot about who like rena's character sloan the as, as the girlfriend character should be and he really didn't want to like throw her under the bus because it's very easy to not like that character maybe because or, or it could have been and i think he was very defensive of like all these characters having like their own worlds their own richness their own stories and and trying to make sure that they were complex. Yeah, I feel like all of the characters, I related to all of them in a specific way. So, um, but I, and I was reading the press notes and from my understanding, the film's inception was November of 2020, right? So within 14 months, you wrote, shot, edited, and now you're sitting here at Sundance. I think you should all teach a course or something. I don't understand in the heart of a pandemic, like how did this happen? so fast and I, I mean i don't understand <laughs> <laughs> um it, i think we're still trying to to catch our bearings a little bit uh it it it's it's hard to explain i don't know chapin like how would you summarize the the experience from its inception I mean, to where yeah there was a lot of like momentum going into 2020 for us on on other things and so i think that the pandemic obviously starting in March really was like a, uh, a brick wall. It was hitting a brick wall. And so I think we had a lot of creative uh, frustration for lack of a better term, that was kind of like an energy that was behind a lot of like trying to do something. And, um, you know, I, I think initially some of this started out of like a really long late night conversation about those frustrations that Alika and I were having and, um, trying to figure out what we could do. And I don't think we knew it would be this or that it would be a feature film necessarily, but it was just like talking about like, what can we do? Um, because a lot of what we were trying to do got kind of stopped in its tracks and, and the future of that was unclear at that time. Um, and, you know, Jesse and Alika had spent a lot of 2020 rewriting another script together. And, you know, so there was this, all these other things. And so it was interesting because the moment Alika reached out to Naz and was like, I kind of want to do this thing. Naz had his own thoughts and his own creative frustrations. And then it just kind of naturally spread out from there where we just kept calling people and being like, hey, would you show up and play this role for a day? And then like, you know, I think it was very unclear, um, you know, because they, they 
they sort of just like scrambled into script writing mode and were spending up I, late nights writing I, script. I think what fueled so much of the um, expediency of it was, be, there, you know, when I found out Nas was moving, he, he was kind of thinking like he would move in February or March. So that put like really a ticking clock on us to, you know, be able to do this. Um, so that that like we, we tapped into that energy and just started writing and, and, and then filming. And then like even before we were finished filming, we tapped um, our first editor, Jason Saldez, who like started cutting together scenes um, before we flew to New York. And when he started showing us, cause you know, as much as good as we were feeling about what we were doing, we weren't really sure if it was working, but when we saw some of those early returns from our editor, that's when Chapin and I were like, okay, I think we really have something here. And so, you know, we flew to New York, finished the film and just edited it all year, stayed on that because, we just always kept talking about like this film feeling it like it had a certain energy that we just wanted to keep writing because you know momentum is everything i think in this industry and yeah crazy to be here still surreal but dude like my team are like they're hustlers like they work non-stop <laughs> <laughs> like jesse chapin and alika like they, i don't know if you follow them on social media or anything but they look like they're relaxed they're living life but they will not stop working <laughs> So they're actors as well. Okay. <laughs> um, I know we're going to get ready to wrap, but I have to ask the music question. Love the music throughout the film. Obviously, it had to be great indie music, or at least to me, it's great indie music because of Nas's character and, and working at KTUH Community Radio. So can maybe Jesse or Alika talk about that? Yeah, well, let me just say that this is a very beautiful rare opportunity where I would say that Alika managed to get 99.9 .9 of the original music that was in the original edit, um, which is always hard because sometimes songs are not available for some reason or another. Um, so what you're seeing in the film really is Alika's original iteration and intention of every scene and the soundtrack to that. Um, and Alika can speak more on that, but there's some very wonderful local bands, um, bands that Alika knows personally. Um, and so it's even more natural to how organically those songs would be playing in those places. Yeah, I mean, also even the sort of lead supporting our actor, Caden, who's my roommate. Um, <laughs> so a little bit more. Uh, <laughs> Um, he composed like seven original songs for the movie as well. Um, but yeah, like the the it, the idea I think behind the soundtrack was, you know, Naz had these group of bands that he really loved, Goon Lagoon, Lino Boy, and Hoppa Hunting, who also happened to be his friends. Um, so we wanted to use as much of that music as possible. And then in the edit, um, I was listening to like Nilifer Yanya, that the artist whose other songs we feature a lot. And I, I was just loving her, you know, whole album um, a lot of last year, and I really felt like it would fit really well and complement the other things we had going. And um, I thought the same for Taishi as well. So it's to, as Jesse said, I'm like, I still can't believe that we got all of the songs that we were hoping for. 
Um, and I'm just really excited to showcase, you know, this mix of local and, and national. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it too is like what what is NAS like actually listen to and like and like trying to be authentic to that. Like, and so it, it, to go back to the beginning of this, where it's like, is it a documentary? Is it a narrative? It's like it's it's very much a narrative film, but in a lot of ways, you're still trying to serve that character that he created and the authentic taste that he has as a as a person who really like worked in radio and like has you know loves music and has taste in music and and um has opinions about music and movies and so like always trying to like keep that in mind and be authentic to that it's like a huge part of the like credo of the film in general i think arguably um the only thing more harrowing than working with uh children and animals for filmmakers is trying to get and be able to afford music rights so uh <laughs> so there you go but uh but, but but good all around on this thing again uh the film is every day in kamuki which is screening at the sundance film festival virtually for 2022 and we've been talking to uh director and co-screenwriter alika tengen uh cast member star rena white producer jesse odio and dp and producer chapin hall it's been wonderful talking about the film with all four of you thank you for being on the show wow. thank, you all. thank you for having us If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about us, you can head to bitchtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is created, hosted, and executive produced by Aaron Lim. My co-host is Angela Tabora, a.k.a. Captain Party. The show's edited by producer Shar. We're powered by GoTo Productions. 